everyone, and thanks for listening. You're listening to another episode of Bright Lights Consumer Trends in Conversation with Element 54. I'm your host, Julianne Ng, Senior Vice President at Element 54. In today's episode of Food Futures, we're tackling part two of our discussion with Ellen Karp, which will focus on food trends specific to the millennials. As a reminder, Ellen Karp is a cultural anthropologist, formerly with the National Museum in Ottawa, who discovered many years ago that she had a really unique ability to understand, predict, and interpret shifts in consumer thinking and behavior, and to be able to translate them to deeply resonant strategies for the global marketplace. Her company, Anerka International, has been consulting for many of the major food brands in Europe, Canada, and the US, in addition to work in most other consumer categories. Welcome to the show, Ellen. I'm excited to hear all about your perspective on the millennials today. Hi, Julianne. I really love talking about millennials, and I don't mean to sound patronizing, but I'm kind of a millennial wannabe. I'm actually a baby boomer, as you know, but I have so much admiration for millennial culture and the way they think. You know, many, whatever, 10, 12 years ago, if you Googled uh, millennial, you got images of kind of loner guys sitting in front of their computer or a group of people in their late teens, early 20s, holding computers high. And the articles were really about social media and they were about their work habits, their work ethic. But from my work with millennials, that's not where it was. And it's not certainly not where it is. As you know, millennials who for the sake of, um, of ease, we can date from birth from 1980 to 2000. So they're now 20 to 40 years old. So millennials are the the largest cohort now, which makes them influential by numbers. But more than that, if we think about the life stage, uh, for those who are kind of 25 to 40, they've finished college, if they went to college, working, uh, many, many are having families. So they're kind of in their prime. And they're, so they're the prime influencers. Um, and, and what all that means in terms of lifestyle decisions, purchase decisions, is really interesting, particularly for the older millennials who do have families because they, they're, they're acquiring houses. They're, they're, as I said, they're having kids. So that the, the financial pressure is there. It's, it's actually quite an exciting time. The, the other really important thing demographically with them having kids is that millennials do have this sort of special way of thinking. I'm stereotyping, but a special way of thinking that, as I said, I love. And they're having kids. So the way millennials think and behave is what the kids are learning. So given that there is such a difference between uh, millennials and baby boomers, certainly, uh, and to a large degree, millennials and Gen X, it's really important. Oh, let me get into it. I'm going to start by telling you a story. And this story took place, um, it, uh, I think about 10, 11 years ago. And I think I was in Chicago. Um, and I was talking to a, a friend's daughter who was about 25 years old at the time. And we were talking about food and different kinds of food that we like. And 
at that time, 10 or 11 years ago, in the US, not so much in Canada, where we, we had more exposure to certain uh, types of, of food, uh, but in the US, brie had just been discovered by the mainstream and it was getting, I don't know if you remember this, Julianne, it was getting really popular as something fancy, something to serve when guests were over and people were buying these little brie pots and, and um, uh, putting cranberries on and maple syrup and serving it. And it was the height of sophistication. And I was with this friend's daughter and I said, do you like brie? And she said, oh yeah, I really like brie. You know, at work, there's a supermarket across the street and a couple of times a week, I go over to the deli and I ask for, for the, the, the deli person to cut some brie and put it on a sandwich with a bun. And I was pretty stunned. In my head, I was hearing Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan because this, this, this for the time was so radical. And, what, and I thought, whoa, this is a very different way of thinking about food. And it turned out it was a different way of thinking about a lot of things. Because older generations, certainly the baby boomers and older, always had this idea of status of things we own. And there was the fancy stuff and the stuff you save for guests. And then there was the everyday stuff. And what Gen X to a degree, but certainly millennials did was bridge that. And why did they bridge it? It's because, and it's symptomatic of a, of a culture that's highly democratized, if I can use that word still, uh, it's kind of a word that we have to use between parentheses these days. It's a non-hierarchical culture. And it's a lateral culture. And the implications of that are fantastic. It, it means that, as I said, the blurring between what's supposed, supposed to be for this occasion or that occasion is kind of out the window. It's, it's an almost anything goes, which makes for huge creativity. It makes for huge diversity. Um, it gives endless choice because the world is, the, the cultural world is flattened. It's not uh, viewed hierarchically and in terms of status. So where this manifests itself, uh, well, at the time, I'm going to go back to the time when you looked at magazines, there was a whole hullabaloo because some of the celebrities were mixing stuff that they bought at Zara or, or, or one of those fast fashion places with haute couture and um you know this was big news that that they were doing this but this is symptomatic of the same of the same thing and it certainly applies applies to food where the the um millennials like quality food and so they're 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 looking for quality food in the everyday experience and that's why the same way that they as far as I know, many don't have the, the really good set of china that you don't hardly use. And the everyday, it's all, it's all an everyday thing, an everyday quality thing. So what it really is, is, is a kind of mashup culture. If you remember that term that we were using a few years ago, where we pick from all kinds of sources. 
And again, that diversity that is the result is, is really quite exciting. So another manifestation of this that is really huge is athleisure, that whole clothing category that is so ubiquitous. It's evolved. It's no longer called athleisure. But what athleisure is, and it's completely millennial driven, um, it's casual. So again, it's a non-status way of dressing. Again, lateral. So what we've been seeing uh, so far, I've thrown a lot of terms this way, but basically um, it's a way of thinking and a way of living that is far less hierarchical. In, you know, I'm not talking about work environments or anything, but in terms of way of looking at the world and the way of looking at the material world is tends to be horizontal or lateral and less of, of hierarchy. So it's democratized. It's creative because there's kind of boundless choice and it's diverse uh, as a result. Another aspect of this, Julianne, is, and this is very common, commonly known, that this is, that millennial culture is very much a sharing or a communal culture. And that, of course, too, is horizontal. Millennials are very social media oriented and uh, also in their relationships with others and certainly in their food culture. One thing that you do find if you Google millennials now millennials and food, you'll see lots of pictures of people around a common table sharing. Of course, in the age of COVID, uh, that's maybe virtual, but it is a kind of communal culture. It's less about the individual. So when you walk into a millennial-run office, it can be very different. Chances are you're not going to know who the quote-unquote top people or executives are because, again, it's, it's physically create uh, a range designed to be lateral and open and reflects this kind of millennial open-mindedness. Um, so there is, there is another offshoot of all of this that I wanted just to mention because it's, it has to do with food. And so if I go back to my generation, the baby boomers, if, if I were to go out to lunch with a group of people male women, but I'm thinking more women. Um, and we decided we had dessert. There would be all this chatter afterwards about, oh, I was a bad girl. And um, a lot of self-shaming over the so-called bad, not healthy, fattening food. This, this is a, a very real phenomenon. I'm sure you've experienced that, Julianne. Oh, definitely, Ellen. There seems to be a lot of guilt associated with foods that we would consider to be indulgent. So how does that differ with millennials? It's kind of interesting going out with millennials, uh, particularly millennials who are very into health uh, and healthy eating. Because in my experience, and I've read this and heard this, there is not that guilt. It's owned. It's, I eat really healthy most of the time, but I know it's, I know it's equally good for me to eat what I want from time to time. And they celebrate that. So this is, this is, it's kind of like upstairs, downstairs. 
the TV series. And my generation keeps the two apart. There's a staircase between the upper and the lower. But for millennials, there's not a staircase. It's all good. This is really important if you're food, if you're communicating about food. Food is not a source of guilt. That's so fascinating how you've made the connection between the mashups of premium products with the casual and other categories such as clothing, um, with millennials being non-judgmental, meaning that they don't separate between different classes of food. So everything pretty much goes for any occasion. Indulgent or premium foods don't have to be safe for special occasions, nor should they necessarily be promoted as such. That too is something that I find very interesting about the way millennials eat and think about their food. This leads me into a slightly different topic, which is uh, millennials' relationship with things. This is something that I find really important and really, really interesting. It's really about a minimalist way of thinking. So let's go back to, again, to the early days of of millennials when we were putting millennials under the, the microscope. Now many millennials in the U.S. especially are moving out of urban areas in order to afford housing. But it was a real urban movement in the beginning. Uh, The numbers of millennials who were learning to drive and getting cars dropped because they preferred to walk, ride a bike, take public transit, and live kind of in the center of things. And so in the big cities like Toronto, uh, suddenly there were apartments and condos being built that were three to 500 square feet. And to me, this dictated so much of what followed. It really gave an impetus to millennials, as I say, relationship with things, which can really be defined as quote unquote, small is beautiful. Uh, Because when you live in three to 500 square feet, you can't acquire very much. And so, Given that they can't acquire very much, there's already a huge difference from the baby boomers who over time have wanted bigger and bigger places and more and more stuff versus uh, millennials who ideally are very deliberate and careful about what they acquire. They don't just randomly acquire. Uh, It was millennials who started using the word curated to refer to what they buy personally or what a millennial store has to offer. And this idea of curation to me is so important because it's about being careful and deliberate. So if you were to uh, visit or Google millennial back to close millennial clothing stores, for example, There's not a whole lot of merchandise often displayed. It's beautifully displayed. It's almost variations on a theme. And this is kind of the ideal. I'm going to talk about money pretty soon, which which is another factor. Ellen, can you elaborate more about the implications of this deliberate approach to the acquisition of things? First of all, uh, this is a generation who largely grew up on Apple. It's an aesthetic. And there's, there's an aspiration to things that look good, things that are authentic, and things that are artisanal. That has had big implications that I'm going to get to for uh, merchandising 
in the big box stores, for example, where, where many of them shop regularly. It also means that they're going to be acquiring less, but often they want better quality. So I spoke previously about this move to deconsumption or buying less. And as I mentioned then, it was the millennials who were in the vanguard of this, who said, I want in the future to have fewer but better quality things. So this is another indicator for the food for the for the food category that quality is important. There's a tendency also to want things to represent who they are and what they believe. Uh, millennials also tend to, as I'll get into, they're values driven and they tend to want to buy things that represent who they are and what their beliefs are and what their aesthetic is. And that's where they'll put their money behind, behind objects that represent their beliefs. So you've covered a lot of ground in terms of some underlying drivers behind current millennial behaviors. Could you summarize for us what your key takeaways are? So in other words, just to summarize that, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of small places lingering mentality which has, has inhibited constant consumption. So what millennials ideally buy are things that reflect their beliefs and their values. Uh, there is a movement to buy better quality. And there's also an aspiration to quote unquote curated objects and an aspiration to authentic and artisanal. And this of course aligns completely with what is happening in the food category overall. Thank you, that's a great summary, Ellen. What are some of the other themes that you are seeing? My, the next theme is, is really something that we hear about a lot when we hear about or ourselves experience a dialogue with, with millennials. And that's that, um, that millennials tend to value experience over things. I think there's a caveat to that which is that, again, the older millennials are, are in the, the expenses crush uh, life stage where they're having to buy stuff for kids and, and houses and so forth. So parenting is, is an exception to this. But generally, yes, uh, millennials do value experience. For example, there are many studies out that suggest that they millennials are much more inclined to say, even if they don't have a lot of money, it's worth spending a little more on a good meal at a restaurant or nowadays on a takeout. Um, there's, there's not as much willingness to compromise on quality. So that's a word we're hearing again and again, right? But along with experience, there's another aspect of it, and that's the whole notion of adventure and wanting new experiences. And this very much has touched on the food industry uh, where there's huge diversity. There's been a, a huge melting pot of ethnic foods. Uh, there's, the millennials really like to try new things. They like to have new flavors. So when you go into a, a big supermarket, particularly in the States that's in a millennial, a heavily millennial um, area, it's amazing to see how many, for example, flavor variations or other variations. Uh, I was in one in, um, I can't remember where, it might have been in, in Denver. 
And the wall of the different uh, kombuchas was amazing. And um, uh, this proliferation of new taste adventures and experience is very much millennial. I have a question for you related to that. Um, you know, based on your anthropology background and how in the last podcast episode we had talked about the, the past and the whole um, perfect storm that led us to where we are now with respect to attitudes around food, where, what is the underlying driver behind the desire for experimentation among millennials? Why this proliferation and why this desire to experience food in many different dimensions? This, to me, relates most directly to this uh, non-hierarchical, horizontal mashup culture. When we think of a circle, a circle keeps going round and round. But if we think of a horizontal line, it can go to infinity. And here we have a generation that is thinking horizontally or laterally, and who uh, throughout their adult life have had exposure to so much diversity with social media. It's kind of the sky's the limit there. And who maybe many of them have experienced living in very small places and want to get out and experience the world. So I think it is a, a congregate of factors again that, um, that, that drives this whole notion of experience. Plus, plus, you know, they, they're, millennials do more takeout, more eating in restaurants. That, again, is symptomatic of the sharing and the, the communal nature of their food experience. There's one more element to this experiential side and also is uh, related to food. And that is that millennials are pretty outdoorsy. They, they like hiking, they like biking, they like nature, uh, many of them. Uh, that is driving an interest in sustainability because when you kind of live more in nature, you know that it's really important to preserve nature. But from a food perspective, what you'll read, I'm not inventing this, what millennials want is are foods that can be used on the go, so they're convenient, they're quality foods, and they're healthy foods. And that trio has been difficult for the food industry to deliver. Convenience, slash on the go, quality and healthy. Um, and you could add interesting, and you could add sustainable along with that. Uh, but that's five things. It's kind of too many to keep in mind. But this idea of healthy quality convenience is really important. You're right that five benefits is a lot of messages and a lot for any product to deliver well on. So it's no surprise that this has been a challenge for food manufacturers. However, when you first mentioned what you call the trio of quality, convenience and healthy, I thought to myself, well, that's not too hard to deliver against. A small resealable bag of pre-washed carrot sticks addresses all those points. But when you added the word interesting and then sustainable, it made a lot more sense as to why it's such a challenge. Food at its core is meant to nourish, but taste is such an incredibly important attribute. So yes, the carrot sticks are good, but they aren't very exciting as much as I love plants. And it's interesting that the vegan food category is largely dominated by vegan snacks. The industry numbers are showing that. 
I want to move on to a, to a very down-to-earth subject, which is money. Because millennial life sounds pretty expensive when we think about the, these fine, curated, artisanal objects that many like or, you know, experience not so much travel right now with COVID, but, but uh, having new experiences, going out, etc. Millennials don't necessarily have a lot of money. The younger ones are just starting out uh, or still in school. And the older ones, as I said, are in the money crunch phase of life where there is so much going on and there are so many changes and each change comes with a whole bunch of bills to pay. But at the same time, they have an aspiration to quality. Now, all the data set will tell you, and my experience tells me, that there's a lot of purchase at, at big box stores, at supermarkets, at very mainstream uh, retail venues. Now, certainly a lot of them online, but nonetheless, they can't necessarily afford to shop in these small, curated, um, high-quality shops. So there are a couple of messages here for the food industry that I always like to mention. And one has to do with merchandising and display and product mix. And I'm thinking of the food supermarkets, uh, which is to, to create artisanal corners within. And that's happening more and more. And that really is a, um, a millennial thing. Certainly in, in our Canadian supermarkets, certainly around here, you can go into a supermarket and find baked goods from small bakeries set up and displayed more or less as they are in a smaller smaller store. Uh, another point is to offer affordable quality because again, millennials don't like to compromise on quality, but they can't spend a fortune and that really dictates whether they're buying organic food or not. They like organic food, but sometimes can't afford it. So I'm going to move to the last section now. Okay. And I'm wondering if you could repeat that last little portion only because Churro just tried to open the door to come in and I don't know if um, the squeaking oh. of the door got recorded. Oh, sure. Um, uh, so there are a couple of messages vis-a-vis -vis cost of food. Uh, and, and Sorry, I'm going to start again. There are a couple of messages here for the food industry. Um, one is to offer affordable quality. Uh, millennials like organic food, they can't always afford it. So you want to make sure that, that you're offering them high quality but affordable uh, food choices. Another has to do with merchandising and display, which is if you're a big box, if you're a supermarket, a big supermarket. Finally, Julianne, I, I'm going to come to what is the most important one in it has to do with our big topic of food sustainability and it's about millennial values. And when I said that I'm a millennial wannabe, it's largely because of this. I like the idea of their good food and their lack of guilt, etc., and their, their mash mashups, but it's the values because millennials, many of them uh, have strong values. They don't compromise and they live by these values. So, what are some of the millennial values that they, the values that millennials hold dear? Well, sustainability, equality, and honesty and transparency are, are 
three that I think are really important. Uh, so starting with sustainability, uh, we've talked about this a lot already, but the plant-based diet, I said, isn't going to go away. It's very important for millennials and for millennial families. And again, I'll suggest that when the, the kids who are now growing up with a more conscious or plant-based diet grow up and have kids, this is going to be even more established and ingrained as part of the food culture. In terms of equality, the message there really is a reinforcement, a reinforcement of the notion of affordable quality because uh, equality, diversity, variety, mixing high and low together, as I talked about before, uh, really one of, the, one of the issues here is when you're buying the really high quality stuff, can you afford it? And uh, so again, affordable quality is really, really important. Probably the, from my experience working with consumers, from reading, from everything, one of the most important has to do with honesty. And that means transparency. Again and again, for many years, I've been, I've, I've been hearing millennials talk about their lack of trust in much of what big brands and others say. Their trust is hard won and it's easily lost. So when my work has to do with certification of food, of personal care products, of uh, apparel, for example, millennials are more likely to take comfort in, in items that, are, that have been certified. Again, there's a cost issue for, for organic food, but a millennial wants to see the proof. I can't tell you how many focus groups I've led where there's a claim made by, by a food brand and they kind of sit back in their chair and say, prove it. Don't just tell me, prove it. So that's a challenge. Really, again, I said this before, a brand or a company has to know what its values are, has to state it, and has to live by it, the same way that millennials live by their values. Uh, transparency is really important, and identifying one's sources and one's attitude towards the people that are working to provide the food, really important. And hugely important is the whole notion of greenwashing. It's more than greenwashing now. It's, it's every possible kind of washing. I mentioned this before. Many millennials have their antennae, antennae out for things that don't ring true, that are some kind of washing of the truth and misrepresentation. And once they think that you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes, you can lose them. So this is, this is hugely important. So Ellen, what does this mean in a nutshell? So Julianne, what, what this means is we talked before about conscious consumption. And that is when the purchases that ones make, be it for food or for other items, reflect one's value and belief vis-a-vis -vis sustainability in particular. 
and I talked about a mo the, the movement towards in the near future, a much more conscious consumer base than there is now. We're really moving in that direction, but I think I mentioned that it's the millennials that are in the vanguard of this. And uh, so for me, millennial foodways are really another example of millennials as conscious consumers, giving birth to a new generation of conscious consumers behind them. Thank you so much, Ellen, for your time and your insights. To wrap up, let me summarize the three key takeaways. Number one, when it comes to food, millennials generally don't have the metaphorical staircase that Ellen referred to, which separates the special occasion foods from the everyday foods, or the guilty foods versus the good-for-you foods. It's important for marketers in the food industry to understand this form of mashup where anything goes at any time, and to consider products, services, or positioning which fit with this philosophy. Number two, millennials are big on the trend of deconsumption, looking for fewer but higher quality goods. This idea of affordable quality also fits in well with their concept of equality. However, they remain budget conscious because of their life stage, either just starting their careers or starting a family. As a marketer in the food industry, consider what you can offer that would help them out while providing the high quality products and services they seek. And number three, building on the second takeaway, food that is high quality, convenient for their busy lifestyles, healthy, interesting, which appeals to their desire for experimentation, and sustainable will be the holy grail for the millennial, and likely for many others beyond that generation. Even if your product cannot deliver against all of these attributes, trying to target at least three out of the five in some way should help put you ahead of the competition. If you are interested in hearing more about food trends from different experts and other upcoming consumer trends topics, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to Bright Lights, Consumer Trends, and Conversation with Element 54. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode or know someone else who would, we'd love to hear from you. Just reach out to me through LinkedIn or at julianne.ng at element-54.com. Thank you for listening.